welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, not to sound like a, a weak, soft-ass Angelino here, but I'm cold. Oh, it's I've I've loved it. Now it, it is cold, but I I like when it's cold. It's it's very refreshing to me. Um, I just uh, maybe it's just my apartment building. They just decided when they built it, like, yeah, it's Southern California. We don't need any sort of sure. inflation whatsoever. 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 Right. That's that's the, the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Cause like it's been in the forties outside and it's essentially been in the forties inside and it's been miserable. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's rough. Our, our house stays is, is pretty well insulated. It stays fairly cool in the summer and pretty warm in the winter. Uh, but there is one section of our house that I think the previous owner had built on and did not insulate at all, which is like the, our, our laundry room, which also has a half bath connected to it. Right. And, uh, and on rare occasion when you have to like, like if the other two bathrooms are being used, which when we have guests, sometimes that does happen and you have to go in, to just like you know pee or something you're like this is horrible this is like like i'm in an igloo or something it's literally like you have a uh what is the okay hold okay on. hang on where you where you grew up a lot of different places mm-hmm. so what do you refer to a like bathroom that's like if you're at an event and they've got those temporary bathrooms you know oh um, what do you call them I think my first instinct is uh, porta potty. Okay, I think that's that's the general okay. term. But um, I grew up being from the St. Louis area. It's kind of like a uh, referring to all tissues as Kleenex thing. Sure. The 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 major brand there was called Johnny on the Spot, which is a clever name. Oh, okay. And that's just what I grew up like calling. No matter whether they were that brand or not, that's what I called them. Huh. And my wife from here in Southern California calls them Andy Gumps because that was the brand in at least oh, in Ventura wow. County where she, where she grew up. Um, uh, and now I've spent so much time with, with her and going to, you know, pre pandemic and everything, going to events with her and her family that I found myself referring to porta potties as Andy Gumps because that's what her, that's what her family calls them. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, listeners feel free to weigh in, uh, in the comments. If you have, uh, if there, if there are more regional, uh, yeah. specifics, because, yeah, like uh, cause once you mention it, now that you mentioned, it, it's like, Oh yeah, I've seen the the name of the company, Andy Gump, uh, Johnny on the spot. I don't know. Cause uh, that sounds very specific, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's when you're, when you've lived everywhere, you just speak in generalities like I do. Right. Um, right. Um, but, uh, okay. Now, well, how David, are you? You you had a you had a fun experience. You want to uh, share with the listeners? I did, and I don't want to share too much, par- uh, partially because uh, turns out this is a an experience unique to Los Angeles, but it could travel around a bit. Uh, okay. Jen and I, uh, in an attempt to have sort of a date night and do something that's unique, uh, we did the Stranger Things drive-through experience or drive-into experience, pardon me. And uh, it, you stay in your car the whole time and they it's very well organized. It's in downtown LA. They took over uh, like, a dri- uh, like a drive-in and a uh, an entire uh, parking structure um, with multiple levels and stuff. And it's... Uh, 
they direct you on where to go. And there are basically like three places where you stop, you put your car in park, you turn the lights off and they, and like, there's a stranger things scene that essentially happens in front of you with like, uh, uh, actors impersonating the different characters, but, and, you know, crazy lights and art direction and all that sort of thing. Um, and it was a lot of fun for a few, for a, a few reasons. The primary of which for us was uh, I got an email the day of saying like, Hey, here's all the things that you'll need to keep in mind and all the things that you'll need to do. And one of them was uh, there's apparently a, uh, an app called dash, which I don't know anything about uh, until they, it's essentially like curated playlists or something, um, which is like, well, that's kind of like Pandora, but whatever anyway. uh, And they said, uh, download dash and go to this station. And it's the, it's Hawkins radio. Hawkins is the name of the town in, uh, in stranger things. And so we did that and it was going to be like a, like a 30 minute drive. And so essentially, uh, and it takes place in 1985, the show. And so it doesn't only play music from that era, uh, including some, some deeper cuts that I didn't know, which I appreciated. Um, but also they, it is, it's as though it is actually the Hawkins radio station. There's a, you know, a DJ and all that talking about uh, the, the upcoming event, which is ostensibly like what you're going to, which is like, Oh, the high school reunion or whatever. Um, and, uh, and it, so we're driving all the way, you know, we're, we're driving all the way down and like, Oh, the experience has basically started. Uh, and then when you get there, uh, there's like the, you, you, all the cars have to wait to, to get in. Uh, and while you're waiting, they have, uh, this big, like jazzercise demonstration and, and all of that. And, and it's all just so well thought out. And the thing that struck me was that like, and, and the experience itself was, was fine. It was maybe a little bit short. I could see somebody maybe being a little bit disappointed if they like, uh, if they sort of had their expectations high, but, uh, but it was more just the general experience and the fact that somebody thought to do this, um, you know, in, in a lockdown situation, there isn't that much, uh, that, that you can do. And so the idea of taking entertainment and, and having it be more than a drive through movie, having it be genuinely a drive-in movie, but like a genuine experience, uh, and then putting a lot of certainly a great deal of money into it. I mean, it's sponsored by Netflix and, and that sort of thing. So, um, and just to, it reminded me in many ways of, of like Disneyland and just where, you know, the moment you get in line, you're, you're kind of on the ride because they, they really not merely brand it, but they, they, they design it in such a way so that you feel like you're stepping into the world of this ride. And so, uh, so I, I did it and it was, I did it last night and it was a great deal of fun. Um, it's on the pricey side, they charge like based on number of people in the car. Uh, so it can, it can be costly, but, uh, if anybody's in the LA area and you're looking for a sort of a unique experience, you should check it out and, uh, and be sure to download that, uh, that app and listen to the radio station on the way down. Uh, because again, at that point, it's like, it's like you're, it's happening already. And so, uh, it was just a really fun evening and, and one that literally would not have existed. They wouldn't have done it if not for the lockdown. And I'm not saying the lockdown is a good thing, but I like the no, idea. I, I, mean, I think the, 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 the jury's in now. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of on the fence <laughs> until this thing. Um, but no, it's, it's, 
it's the, I, I think I appreciate the like creativity will always persevere, you know, and, and even in a situation like this, where like, how can we make this work for, uh, how can we make something that's unique and how can we make it work and be enjoyable? And, uh, and in my opinion, they did, they did wonderfully with that. And it was just, I don't know, it was oddly encouraging to me. Um, I did a, a much smaller version back in November and this was not open to the public. I think this was just a press thing, hmm. but Amazon for a small X for the small X series did a thing that was honestly more of a drive through. Sure. Basically, they they turned a strip mall into like they built a bunch of fake storefronts and turned a strip mall into like late sixties, early seventies Notting Hill, where a lot of where like Mangrove uh, takes place. But they were really just trying to get you in and out. So like, yeah, because there were a lot of press people, I guess. So like, I, I drove in. They were like, "All right, pull ahead," and they're like, "All right, do you want the beef or veggie?" And like, we got some food and some Jamaican ginger beer that was really good. And then they, we got a whole food kit like a blue apron type of kit hmm. where but but it was jamaican food that you know you take it home and you cook it at at, at home so right um and then like take your picture and then it's like all right like so i didn't really get a chance to like appreciate like all the work that had gone into to transforming this little strip mall in inglewood but uh i will say the food that natalie and i made that night was delicious sure um uh, I, I like i like jerk chicken I have realized I'm a jerk chicken guy because um, there's a place in Studio City uh, that a Jamaican place in Studio City that has a lot of they have regular Jamaican food and they have like vegan versions. Mm -hmm. So Natalie's like, great, we can order order from there. So uh, I've come to realize I really like jerk chicken. Um, anyway, uh, the, the other thing that uh, I, I wanted to comment on about what you said, you you mentioned Hawkins Radio and then you were like, as an explainer, like, oh, that's the name of the town in Stranger Things. Yeah. Do you have this because I have geared my life toward pop culture literacy? Mm -hmm. There are I'm conversant in shows that I never watch. So like I knew the town was called Hawkins. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> uh, but like, but I just like I didn't try to find that out. Like that's just a thing that I know. You know, you know. And I, I was thinking recently about how much, how much of the story of Wandavision I know without sure. having tried to to find anything out um we talked about wandavision a bit uh um let's do another plug for the patreon <laughs> we, sure. we, we talked about it on this month's uh tv journal we talked with the tv you've been watching uh you can subscribe for yourself at patreon.com slash battleship retention here are tv thoughts and everything else four to five an episode a week that mm -hmm. you're uh, that you get uh depending on what level you sign up at anyway um and I was uh, a quick update on what I said on the Patreon for you and the patrons who are listening right now. Uh, I told you about that AV Club editorial I had read that, that kind of put me off One Division. Yeah, AV Club published a different editorial by a different writer after One Division uh, wrapped up that made a very good case for it. So now hmm. I'm uh, uh, now I'm back on the fence. Maybe I'll watch One Division. I think I think you would enjoy it. I well, yeah. I don't want to spoil my my thoughts for uh, for the next TV journal, but uh, but yeah, I certainly liked the way it started more than the way it ended. Um, but I still I still liked the way it ended. But do um, you do you have that where like you read enough pop culture entertainment news that you just know stuff that you don't aren't trying oh, to know? Absolutely, yeah. Like I 
I've seen a grand total of one episode of Game of Thrones, but I know what the Red Wedding is and I know what happens and I know names. And it's like, I don't know what that means, but I know I certainly know what happens. Um, and uh, and then there I mean, Wait, it's usually, I want you to tell me just one. Tell me a name of a character on Game of Thrones that you know and tell me who you think that character is. <laughs> well, I know uh, Hodor, okay. uh, and I, which means I also know a lot of the lines from uh, oh, from yeah. Game of Thrones. So and that's and so like that's the thing is I know that that character says his own name and that's yeah. basically it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so uh, and then I know that seeing uh, is it, is it Joffrey, the the little uh, pipsqueak oh, king that uh, sadist? Yeah, that eventually is is spoilers poisoned and uh, dies a horrible death, but everyone's kind of happy about it. Yeah, um, and his own wedding. The weddings are not safe. Uh, yeah, in uh, in Westeros, I feel like they're trying to make some kind of comment there. Joffrey Baratheon. Baratheon. That's a fun last name. Uh, but yeah, so it's so it's stuff like that. Like I I don't know. I didn't go looking for this information. I just. It, I stumbled across it. And so, and I think that happens with, with some movies, some TV shows, uh, books, occasionally comics. Um, like I, like I knew a lot of the details of the comic book, uh, event of civil war. Um, and I had not read a comic book in years and years, and I did not pick up a comic book to read about civil, uh, the civil war. Um, but I just knew a lot of the details, uh, before, before the movie came out, not that it had that much to do with it really. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that, uh, because of maybe who we are, but also just the nature of what the internet is. Like, uh, I think people just put stuff out there and he's like, all right, yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, not even thinking in terms of spoilers, but just like develop, like everyone's just sort of inundated with just pop culture, whether they want to be or not. Yeah. Well, um, I'm inundated with good music. Uh, okay. when I, when I, when I plug in my tweaked audio.com earbuds, let me tell you about tweaked audio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, the, the professional quality earbuds available at a low, low price tweaked Uh, they look great. They, they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives today. Tyler, I've been listening a lot lately. I've been listening to a lot of daft punk. Uh, okay. cause I don't know if you heard daft punk, they, they called it quit, called it quits there. I heard that and I don't know where I heard it, <laughs> but I heard perfect. it. Yes. So they, uh, announced their their uh tossing aside their helmets i guess is yeah. what they're doing um so i've been listening to uh, a bunch of daft punk and uh reminiscing about all the good times i've had listening to uh to uh robot dance music <laughs> over the past 20 something years um and it sounded great on my tweaked audio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweaked but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? 
Indeed. If you haven't noticed, we number our episodes, not the movie journals. Those have dates on them. Right. But our regular sort of main, like canonical mainline episodes have numbers. If, depending on what uh, podcast you're using, they might have the number twice in a row. Sure. It's something we could fix and have chosen not to. Yeah, um, we've chosen that. I've chosen that too. <laughs> there you I'm go. the one who posts the episodes. Um, yeah. uh, and you, so you might uh, notice that um, the number of this episode, uh, which is number 730, right? Or is 40? it 30? It's either 30 or 40. Oh, I don't even know. I stopped paying attention. I'm pretty sure it's 7:30. It, whichever one it is, it ends in a zero, and yet the the episode, the number of the episode, is not evenly divisible by the number 50, which means it's a profile. That's We're right. 7:30 is what it is. I looked it up. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, we are we are profiling uh, the film career of uh someone we have somewhat recently lost not mm -hmm. we don't usually do people who have just passed away because we like to have some time for research uh, to, to watch the movies we haven't watched um and this what we're doing now is something we have never done before in a profile um which is we're profiling someone who isn't necessarily involved in all of these movies themselves are, I think we've done it once before. Did we? I think we did it with Elmore Leonard. As a profile? Okay. I believe Maybe so. You're right. Maybe you're right. All right. Uh, never mind then. We have done it before. Uh, but today we are going to be running down uh, the long history of movies adapted from the works of John Le Carre. Now, when you say running down, you mean just insulting the whole time, right? Like really, <laughs> really uh, talking about his the, the shortcomings. Uh no, but um, the reason I emphasized movies is because there's a lot of TV based on his stuff, which Lots. is a not all like especially the early stuff not available anywhere. Right. I would I, I would have liked to have watched installments of ABC Stage sixty seven or Armchair Theater mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, but a lot of the TV stuff is not available. Yeah, or there's a lot of TV miniseries that just like we don't have that kind of time. To <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I will be when we get to it. I will be mentioning one miniseries in passing, just because I happen to have watched it when it aired. Um, so I have thoughts. But uh, uh, yeah, if you're looking for us to to discuss all twelve episodes of Smiley's People, I'm sorry, we're not going to get to it. Yeah, and you know, uh, looking at it, yeah, there are a lot of miniseries, and when you watch when you watch any of these or if you've read any of his books uh you kind of understand why they're very intricate while also being uh character pieces and so i uh, i think that lends itself to a mini series you know all of that you can really delve into the the world of spies and spying and espionage and that sort of thing um 
and get to know get to know all the players like i remember when i saw the 2011 tinker taylor soldier spy it really bothered me because it moved the first half moved so fast and you got a general sense of who everybody was mostly because of the actors uh but not really not really the characters themselves and then it slows down and focuses a little bit more on the george smiley character and that really frustrated me and then when i discovered like oh yes there is a a, a multi-part miniseries uh, starring Alec Guinness, I was like, "Oh, I, I bet I would, I bet I would appreciate that a lot more." Since I, I've recently rewatched Tinker Tailor, uh, not recently, I've since watched uh, Tinker Tailor, and uh, and I do really, I enjoy it now. But the first time I watched it, I remember thinking like, "There's so much to pack in," and they're clearly trying to pack it all into a two plus hour movie. And uh, so I think his stuff, when you see how me- how many of his books have inspired. Uh, uh, miniseries, it, it's almost in itself a reflection on the kind of writer he was and the kind of stories he told. Uh, well, I mean, that's your experience with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy highlights once again my uh, my belief that familiarity with the movie's source material uh, only hurts. Sure, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I the more the more recent example for me was uh, I was super looking forward to. Um, Oh, um, I just had a complete like quarantine brain moment. Okay. Uh, what was the Charlize Theron, Gina Prince, by the wood Netflix movie that came out uh, last summer? Oh, now I don't remember. I, uh, uh, I feel like an idiot. Um, anyway, I had read the source material and I was very much looking forward to the movie and I couldn't, I couldn't connect with, uh, with the movie because I was just thinking so much about uh, what wasn't in it. What was, yeah. It's, what was different. That's, it's not, it's one of those things that as I, um, as I've gotten older, I try to, whenever someone says, Oh, the book is better. And usually what they mean is that, it, is that it's more comprehensive, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they're two completely different animals. And, you know, and, and if somebody decides, Oh, I want to, I, I want to make a mini series so that I can try to incorporate as much from the book as I can, then that's perfectly fine. Uh, that's another animal is, uh, the mini series as opposed to a book and a movie. Uh, and yeah. And anybody who says, uh, who, who watches a movie and they lament that it's not the book, don't get me wrong. It still might not be a good movie on its own, but, you know, I've 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 read enough books and seen enough adaptations of those books uh, to be able to appreciate both. Like if you if you're a fan of uh, L.A. Confidential, the book or the movie, they're both really great, mm-hmm. but they are very they're extremely different. I I look at a book like L.A. Confidential and be like, you that's unfilmable for a, for a movie. Like there's just so much involved. Um, but uh, but anyway, okay. So sorry, we can we can get into the, the the movies themselves let's let's do it let's get uh, right into it starting uh nearly at the beginning um well i know right at the beginning the first uh movie or tv show is the uh, um, 1965's the spy who came in from the cold directed by martin ritt and um look a lot of uh good movies are were, were made from john le Carré's novel mm-hmm. but ha- having recently 
in pre- preparation for this episode, um, watched this Bayou came in from the cold for the first time. I do think that uh, Martin Ritt here set a bar that was never cleared again. I think this is the best John Le Carre adapt- adaptation. Uh, I I agree. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, I remember. I don't remember. I uh, exactly when we talked about it. But I think we talked about it as uh, on the on a movie journal uh, or maybe a, a Patreon uh, when talking about my uh, our, our our top hundreds. Um, that uh, it seemed like your kind of movie. Like it, it's it's such a you know in, in watching uh, any movie based on uh, a John Le Carre novel, you're going to be encountering a lot of cynicism a lot of sadness and and a fair amount of intrigue and i feel like it all really comes together with this one i think partially because it's it's focused so much on one character uh there tends to be an ensemble quality to a lot of these films which is fine it gives you the opportunity for like a really good cast and all that uh but here it's very much focused on alec lemus the the character played by richard burden who i think was nominated for an oscar that year and i think it's beautiful it's beautifully shot you get such a sense of the period and i think it probably also helps that it actually takes place like the film was actually made while the cold war was happening right yeah i think that probably makes a big difference uh yeah it also like you said it sets the stage for a lot of what we're going to see again and again um this the idea if watching all these john mccray movies as i did um you get the impression that he would have mocked you for thinking in terms of good guys and bad guys and right and wrong right um there there are sides and usually by the end of the movie something has been accomplished but you'd have to be naive to say anyone's won yeah yeah you know um uh, uh most victories in john mccray stories are pyrrhic victories um and uh, this one is one of, I don't want to give too much away, it's one of the bleaker endings, uh, yeah. which is a capper to a pretty bleak movie. It also seems, it's hilarious to me that, like, this is 1965, so we're, like, three movies deep on the James Bond franchise, and this is, like, the anti-Bond. It's oh, yes. like, there, there's no rollicking music. In fact, huge portions of the movie have no music at all. Yeah. Um it all takes place. It's not like a, a jet setting movie. It all takes place in like shabby rooms, drab, shabby rooms. It's yeah. cold outside. It's gray outside. The movie's in, in black and white. And, um, in there's a, uh, Rich Burton even has a, a, a sort of mini monologue to, uh, the, the female lead. I forget, um, her name about who spies really are and that they're yeah. all just like, like, sad outcasts who were kind of trying to cheat to stay alive <laughs> and yeah. it's just like that cynicism is uh um it's there from it's it's stamped onto these movies from the very beginning and i think we'll see um as things go on when in in the rare occasion almost every movie that i watched for this or had seen previously is very good but mm-hmm. in the rare occasion when um a filmmaker tries to make something more heroic or more spyish. Uh, it, it ends up being fakey. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, this seems all too real. Uh, and I know that uh, John le Carré like really did not like James, the James Bond novels or movies and often and felt like I want to write something in direct response uh, to these and and his we'll we'll get to the character well i guess in a way we'll get to the character in the next film but uh but yeah the, the character of george smiley is the one that shows up uh the most i think in his work and well, and shows up in a lot of in a lot of uh, uh of the movies but uh but yeah that one like the description of him and just the way he approaches things is meant to be almost like the polar opposite of james bond uh, so George Smiley, you mentioned him. He's in The Spider Came In From The Cold as a small but crucial character. Yeah. And then you mentioned the next movie, which is The Deadly Affair. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, James Mason is not playing George Smiley. It's based on a novel called Call for the Dead. Yes. That is a George Smiley novel. But my understanding is the rights to George Smiley as a character were tied up with Spider Came From the Cold. So when Sidney Lumet made The Deadly Affair, uh, he had to change the name to Charles Dobbs. Yes. And they... Uh, but they kept some some important uh, George Smiley elements. Okay. Uh, specifically the idea that he is uh, an aging uh, spy and that he has a young wife who uh, just habitually cheats on him and he knows it. And, uh, and she, and it's not that he doesn't care, but he's just sort of resigned himself to it. And as I was watching this, I was like, well, I know that's something that shows up in like George with George Smiley. I was like, is John Le, was John Le Carre just like obsessed with cuckoldry? Like what's going on here? And that's when I, and as I was looking up the movie, uh, cause I watched it a couple, a couple nights ago. Um, I realized like, Oh, okay. This was George Smiley in the book. And they kept that, uh, cause right. it plays a big role, uh, yeah. in, in this film. And, uh, and I liked it. I really liked the deadly affair. Me too. I, yeah, I just watched it Monday night. Um, so, uh, yeah, also just a few nights ago, uh, you mentioned, uh, his ex-wife or his wife who is, uh, cheating on him, uh, played by, uh, the great Harry, Harriet Anderson, uh, <clears throat> uh, um, and Ingmar Bergman, uh, mainstay in her, in her younger days. Um, and that's something we should talk about, uh, how, uh, how much and how often, uh, pedigree is attached to John Ray adaptations sure. when you make, apparently when you made one of his, uh, a movie or even a TV series of one of his, uh, books, you had to be had to bring the, the big gun. So we mentioned Martin Ritt. This is a Sydney event movie, uh, with James Mason, Max Schell, uh, Simone Signore, Harriet Anderson, um, young Lynn Redgrave. Yeah. Yeah. Young Lynn Redgrave. She's the, the woman who works at the theater, right? <laughs> That's her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also Roy Kinnear, uh, uh, AKA Mr. Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I looked at, I should have been obvious, uh, that he is Rory Kinnear's father. Rory Uh, Kinnear, who would go on to act in several James Bond movies, uh, of the last few years. Oh yeah. I think I did know that. Yeah. I know him from, uh, he was, I think the last thing I saw him in was Peter Lou, which I never saw actually. Um, yeah, it's not that great. But uh, um, the, the Deadly Affair is is, is quite good. Um, yeah. Uh, the the uh, the one thing that that stuck out to me though, did you, and I don't know if this is in John McRae's novel or if this is an adaptation. There's 
weirdly recurring homophobia in this movie or or like talk because uh uh george smiley whatever his name is dobbs yeah boss who's kind of a flamboyant man you find mm-hmm. out that he's referred to as marlena dietrich behind his back i feel yeah. like that's a bit of a and then also the um oh yeah uh uh we mentioned the cast we didn't mention that david warner's in the movie because he's not credited in the movie he's edward the second in that's go- what i thought and i yeah. i was like that looks like david warner yeah uh, so they okay they, they go to a production of edward the second which this is confusing. It's put on by the Royal Shakespeare Company, and apparently mm-hmm. they played themselves because in the credits it's just and the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah, but Edward II is a Christopher Marlowe play, not a, not a William Shakespeare play. I guess the Royal Shakespeare Company doesn't just do Shakespeare, but that's just what they're called. Oh, that makes sense. Um, uh, it's from the same era, but anyway, um, he plays Edward II, and there's a huge set piece, like the penultimate big set piece of the movie yeah. takes place while Edward the second is going on, which is a play that has a lot of, uh, homosexual subtext. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where they're, they're keeping an eye on the, the male and female, you know, spy down there. And the, and the woman like doesn't clap when everyone else does. And the someone says like, uh, uh, George or Charles Dobbs says, uh, I guess you didn't enjoy the play. And the, and the, and the other guy, uh, Kenneth Hay says, uh, well, it's not a woman's play, which I yeah. feel like is like a comment on how gay it is. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that if I was just like, I don't know why those things are ringing out to me as I watched the, the movie. Well, I wouldn't be knowing some of the other some of the other work. I wouldn't be surprised if this if if there is an active element here, because you're dealing with spies who are often invested in other people's secrets. And this was a time when a character being gay, especially if a, if a character is like working for the government or something like that, mm-hmm. like that could be seen as a disqualifying aspect of who they are. And right. so uh, so it, it will come into play in some of the movies that we'll talk about uh later but um but yeah I, i'm not super and this is not it this is 1967 so uh as a as like a, a an overt topic in film it was still fairly new um but having characters especially these characters very slyly sort of reference it and and kind of wink at each other and so that they know what they're what each other's talking about um i think that that uh that plays a big role and um and and what's interesting is for for uh not just this film but uh, but others as well um we're dealing with characters that tend to be older and a little bit beaten down by life um and yet there's still a a pretty prominent thread of like sexuality uh through uh, all of through a lot of these films. And I think probably because yes, it's something like that can be, you know, human passion and human frailty can often go together and it's something that can be exploited um, as it is in, in this film. And I really, the idea that love is something that can cause that is a good thing, but also is an absolute liability and can be exploited and, and lead to a, a weakness uh, is something that you'll find in, in a lot of these movies as well. Um, and I will say that, uh, and I don't remember how you say her name, Simone. Signore, I think. Senor, yeah. She's 
wonderful. I'm I'm largely unfamiliar with her. She is wonderful in this movie. I I, yeah. I really was. It's not that I was surprised because I didn't know what to expect, but I, I I don't think I'd ever heard of her or or maybe I'd well, seen her in from, something uh, and not knowing. Yeah, you've seen her in uh, Diabolique. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Okay. Uh, yes. But that was a while before this. Yeah. And also, she's playing in this movie. She's playing older than she is because I think Simone Signore, the actress in this movie, is like in her mid to late forties. Where I think the character is looks to be sixties. I'd say. Yeah. 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 Um, but her her performance is just like so much of what she's talking about. You know, just like it's like yeah, go ahead and drop your bombs, but don't don't come down and and look at the people that are all uh, that are have been brutalized by it. You know. Uh, so much of her dialogue is just such great, like John Le Carre yeah. uh, characters sort of pontificating uh, a little bit about uh, this horrible life that these characters have chosen. Yeah, again, you've got these these uh, muddied sides and 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 morals because she's from the Foreign Office MI6 or whatever point of view. She's uh, you know they're investigating to see whether or not she's an enemy. Yeah. But Charles Thomas makes it clear that she's not, she's a good person. She's just on, she just might be on the other side. That's all this is. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got Max Schell, who's playing a Russian, who's very close with um, um, Dobbs. Yeah. Uh, because when they first knew each other during the, during World War II, they were on mm -hmm. the same side. And now they're the same two people and they still, you know, are, are close, but they're working on opposite for opposite sides now. And that's, that's one of the things going back to uh, the spy who came in from the cold. That was something that I really liked is that, you know, this guy is told to like target a certain person on the other side and be like, this, this is our enemy. We really, we need to, to take this person out of commission or whatever it is. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, you know what? Actually this person just became an asset. So I know you've been devoting possibly years of your life to uh, apprehending or, or maybe even killing this other person, but we, they're, we need them now. And so uh, our attitude about them has completely changed. You know, it is that idea of, of, uh, I mean, it was said about America, but it could be said about any country that like it only has interests. Uh, and so like, there are no enemies, there are no friends, there's only our interest and their interest. And that's basically it. Um, and that definitely comes into play, uh, in the deadly affair. All right. So, uh, I don't know about you. I'm jumping all the way to the eighties now. Uh, I'm 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 out of commission until the early 2000s. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Well, then I'll talk for a little bit. Um, okay. 1984's the, the Little Drummer Girl again, attracting pedigree. You've got George Roy Hill. This is the penultimate mm -hmm. film of George George Roy Hill's uh, career, and you've got uh, uh, Diane Keaton, and then uh, a European cast, some of which will be uh, Klaus Kinski is the big name. Um, Sammy Frey, Frey, I'm not sure how you say his name, uh, is also, um, uh, somewhat notable. Uh, Michael Christopher is someone you might recognize if you've watched a lot of, uh, 2000s prestige television. Uh, uh, he's always the, he was like a villain on Rubicon and a villain on, uh, Mr. Robot. Hmm, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, he's a very memorable, uh, actor and here he's playing a young, um, palestinian which is weird um and also this is the first there's only a handful of cameos that john lecrae made in right in 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 his movies um and this is the first one he actually has a a line he's like uh there's a part where they're back in in london and uh uh he plays like a police 
a commander in the London police force that the spies are like, Hey, keep an eye on this guy. And he's like, okay, I saw him. That's like, that's it. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> like, uh, it's the fir- worth mentioning. Cause it's the first time. Yeah. Um, but so here's, uh, the last two movies we talked about, the spy came from the cold and the, and the deadly affair. The main characters in those movies were spies or mm-hmm. you know, worked for, the intelligence agency. This is the first, uh, at least chronologically, uh, of the we're covering to to do something that we, we'll, you'll see happen a lot in John Le Carre movies, in which a civilian gets sort of, uh, y- you know, you could say um, uh, shanghaied or, yeah. or uh, persuaded, sort of dra- drafted uh, sometimes, drafted, yeah, into um, uh, into helping uh, the in- intelligence people, and so. Um, uh, Diane Keaton plays an American actress living in in England uh, who is um, pro-Palestine in her politics. Uh, and because of that, they think, well, she's the per- for perfect person to rope in to uh, um, actually help track down a Palestinian bomber hmm. who um, at the beginning of the movie uh, bombs a um, an Israeli ambassador in Germany. Uh, bombs his house, kills his whole family, his, hmm. his the ambassador, wife, and and child, um, uh, and so they use that to convince her, like, yes, I know you're for the cause, but look, this guy's a cold blooded murderer. You should you should help us, and and so um, uh, it's another like, uh, uh, or or it's um, it's the opposite. Of what I was saying about the spy who came in from the cold. Okay, so the the deadly affair takes place entirely in London, right? Okay. Uh, am I right? You saw it, right? The Deadly Affair. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, and um, the spy camera from the cold is like it takes place in multiple countries, but all in like I said, drab sort of back rooms. Mm-hmm. Here is where you're actually getting some of this globe trotting, like uh, sure, uh, spy shit because you 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 go um, from uh, um, uh, from England to Mykonos, Greece, where you have beautiful. Um, uh, seaside vistas and 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 meals and penthouses overlooking the ocean and um and then you've got a uh, picturesque uh rural germany at one point it's a it it's a it's a very uh travelogue type of movie but done done very well um i think this this movie is it really dragged me in slowly i think it's it's kind of it 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 kind of takes its time in a way that in retrospect, I appreciated get, getting going um, because I think it's kind of mimicking Diane Keaton's character's uh, uh, experience of, of feeling like inch by inch, she's being dragged into something and then suddenly finding herself in way over her head. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Klaus Kinski uh, plays a Mossad agent who's um, uh, every bit as charming and gregarious as he is ruthless when he needs to be sure uh, makes sense well cast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, it, the movie also has a love story which i think is it, the, my, my one mark against the little drummer girl is it has that movie thing of characters saying i love you to one another when it's like wait you've known each other four days yeah <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> but that's just something that happens in movies i guess um but uh by the end the, the movie is really good and again despite having all of this pretty uh fun you know, uh, jumping from country to country stuff again has this just bleak downer, violent ending where it's like, that's, that's what all this was for. Like, yeah, she, like she got roped into this thing to do some good. 
they technically maybe accomplished the thing they set out to do, but also like a bunch of other people are dead now too. And I don't know, like, is it worth it? Who knows? Yeah. And the agents don't weigh things like that. They just like, eh, we, we pulled off the, we pulled off the mission onto the next one. That's, yeah. uh, that's what it's about. It's a really terrific, uh, movie. And, um, uh, I think it might be the longest one I watched that uh, over two hours and like 11 minutes, um, which isn't that bad. Yeah, that's uh, not bad. Uh, anyway, so that means you didn't watch The Russia House. No, I didn't. I was between that or The Deadly Affair, and I, I opted for The Deadly Affair because I was curious to watch something specifically in the 60s. But I was I was well, reading up on The Russia House, and it sounded interesting. You made the right choice, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, Russia House is is kind of a dud. It's a it's Fred Scapizzi, who's an act uh, a director that I like. Uh, he uh, mostly because he made Six Degrees of Separation, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is uh, uh, his crowning achievement. The movie. Did he, he make Last made, Orders? He made Last Orders. Yeah. Okay. The last movie he made was an okay movie with uh, Julia Pinochet and Clive Owen called uh, Words and Pictures or Pictures and Words. I can't remember what it was mm-hmm. called. I reviewed it. Uh, for the website back when it came out but uh here again you've got um the civilian being press press ganged into (laughs) into uh um uh what's the word i'm looking for espionage uh sean connery rest in peace um uh plays a uh, british uh small-time book publisher uh who um is very opinionated and very sympathetic, very communist sympathetic. Uh, And because of that, um, in the guise of trying to publish something, a uh, highly ranked Soviet scientist tries to, wants to smuggle some secrets out to to the Western world and does it through like, hey, will you publish this? Wink, wink. Um, And... uh, both the MI6 and CIA get uh, get uh, uh, a hold of it, and uh, they, yeah, once again push him into in, into service. Uh, the movie uh, again, you've got a, another great cast. I mentioned Sean Connery, um, Michelle Pfeiffer doing a Russian accent. Um, hmm. uh, you've got Roy Scheider and John Mahoney as CIA agents. James Fox, oh, and JT Walsh as a uh, nice. American military. Uh, uh person you've got um uh for the mi6 you've got james fox and then you've got director ken russell is the best part of the movie because he's just like chewing the scenery and just like acting like a uh um everyone else is like a suit and he's wearing like bright plaid pants and has a huge shock of white hair uh and and cracking jokes and stuff all the time um but uh the movies, I, I think, a little too uh, too slow moving, um, and I w- it's a little bit dull. And I would say, I hate to say this, but the number one culprit, as far as why I didn't really enjoy the movie, is uh, a real misstep on the part of Jerry Goldsmith in the score. Oh. It's so I understand why he did what he did because Sean Connery's character, in addition to being a member of the literati and a publisher is also a jazz enthusiast and a saxophonist and like plays uh um jazz saxophone for fun on the weekends with yeah. a, with a band and so there's all these jazzy notes in the score that I, i'm sorry it just sounded corny and it's hmm. there throughout the movie like it, it just doesn't go away um 
but uh, uh, so it's not the best of of his uh, of uh, the John Lecrae movies, but it does have a lot of that, like the um, the seemingly good guys, at least given where the movie was produced and where it was released. The British and the uh, American intelligence services are not good people. Yeah. Um, Roy Scheider plays like a plays the CIA guy as a uh, arrogant asshole um, and uh, they don't really accomplish anything by the end and then it's it's over but uh, that's that's something that again we'll be talking about later but I do like the idea that John LaCrae sort of there, there's a, a a universality to the the stories that he tells uh and and his attitude which is it doesn't matter what war you know it could be the cold war it could be israel versus palestine it could be the war on terror whatever it is uh it's all kind of the same uh and the people and the players are all kind of the same and it doesn't matter if they're british if they're american if they're russian it really doesn't matter uh it's just the same thing happening over and over again but the the act the the accents and the language is a little bit different, and that's basically it. Uh, one thing uh, in the Russia House's uh, favor, I forgot to mention, is that um, the movie spends a lot of time in Russia, and they went and shot it like a, in, on location in Moscow and Saint Petersburg, and it's uh, uh, really cool uh, hmm. location photography. That's sure. that's the best thing I can say for it. So, uh, all right, we're moving on. You said early two thousand, so I'm guessing we have the same next one, uh, which is John Borman's The Tailor of Panama. Correct. Which I saw for the first time. I remember hearing about it when it came out. Never got around to it. I saw it for the first time a couple weeks ago. And Tyler, I loved it. I saw it with my dad uh, in the theater. I knew nothing about it except I like Jeffrey Rush. And it looked like a, like an interesting performance by uh, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, neither of us certainly expected that movie. Uh, but I remember... Um, even though I was young, I, I was at that point where I, I, I was starting to like the idea of a movie not being what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly Taylor Panama is that. There's all kinds Especially of... Especially having Pierce Brosnan as yeah. the spy mid-Bond run. Yeah. Playing kind of like the... Like the uh, I was going to say negative image, but probably like the real james bond type like he's he uh beds women and wears fancy clothes and stuff but he's a fucking asshole yeah and in this i mean he you know on top of everything else he doesn't really james bond will do anything he can for queen and country this one not so much he's very much in it for himself that's true yeah um uh, we, we talked especially this by who came in from the cold we talked about how sad um his uh john lecrae's stories are terror of panama is proof that if you approach it from another angle it's almost a dark comedy like yeah there's a there's almost a a funny movie there's almost a farcical element to it yeah 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 i mean like we're introduced to jeffrey rush who is the it's not just a clever name he is a he is a tailor (laughs) he works in panama city and he has a whole like Spit, sped up like fast motion like making a suit uh segment which is like a cool that jeffrey rush like learned how to measure and yeah. cut a suit and then probably and did it in real time it probably took like 
20 minutes of him just doing it with John Borman filming him. Uh, and, and it's a cool, it's cool that they had it in there, but it's like, that's not the tone. If you don't, if you're listening to this episode, not knowing any of these movies, like a little fast motion sequence of someone putting together a <laughs> yeah. suit doesn't seem to fit in with what we're talking about. Yeah. To the, uh, William Tell overture. No, and undoubtedly. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, but at the, but at the core of it is a deep cynicism. Uh, like you said, very darkly funny. And this is the, that's yeah. the dark part of it. Um, and the idea the, so there's a character, you know, the the spy character played by Pierce Brosnan. He's in it for himself. But then you also have this character who played by Jeffrey Rush, who, you know, he is a civilian. Um, but he's not and he, he is brought into this world, but he also kind of wants to be a part of this. world. He just wants to be so much more than he is. Yeah, because uh, He's kind of a con man. Like he is a little bit. I don't know. Well, if he, I don't know if he. Yeah, I don't know if he wants to be a con. If he means to be a con man, so much as just puffing himself up, um, and yeah. then somebody exploits that. Yeah, and also he happens to be married to someone who's close to the. the sure. His wife, uh, Jim, Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, yeah, she's playing a character. He's not married to Jimmy Lee Curtis. Uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Oh, what happened? <laughs> Jimmy Lee Curtis's character works for the Panamanian Panamanian president whatever they have i don't right. know i can't remember uh what their head of stage is called um but uh yeah darkly funny um another great cast uh although like you've got um brennan gleason playing uh a panamanian which is weird uh, yeah um, it's but, an odd uh, bit of, of uh casting now, there have you seen it since then no i haven't but i i remember a lot of it okay it so really you, stands out what do you probably don't remember okay then, is do you remember who do you know who plays Jeffrey Rush's son? Oh no, I don't. Well, I'm don't looking look it up. up I'm gonna okay. tell you. Okay, obviously. well you tell me. Did you, you think tell I me. wasn't gonna tell you? I thought maybe it would be a trick. I thought you were no. trying to trick me. Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, okay. And I almost didn't recognize him because even as Harry Potter or even in most of his roles, he generally has like a floppy unkempt hair sure and here he's this proper little british boy living in panama who's got this you know his school uniform and his like tightly cut and combed hair he did he is almost unrecognizable despite the fact mm. that he would start being harry potter the same year yeah yeah oh wow that's interesting um yeah i certainly would not have known that uh at the time um but uh yeah i it's a film as i was looking at, at at the filmography, I was like, I need to rewatch that because I don't think I had seen any, not that there are that many adaptations of, of his work. Uh, but having seen so many since then, I think I would probably appreciate Taylor of Panama even more. Um, both because of, because of the way that it, it goes along and just its cynicism, but how different it is tonally, um, from, from a lot of these other movies. Do you feel like John Borman has made a number of great movies and I feel like yeah. it doesn't get talked about up, uh, up there, but like, yeah, he's one of, he's one blank, of those. But I know people love it. I've um, seen point blank, but uh, deliverance is on my top hundred movies of all time. Yeah. Excalibur is an amazing movie. And, uh, and this one, and he made a bunch of other movies too. Like, yeah, uh, he made the general with Brendan Gleeson, which I really liked. Um, let's see. Yeah, I've actually only seen a handful, but uh, Point Blank is very good. Um, I uh, I would say I recommend it. Um, 
Yeah, he's just one of those directors that uh, has been, you know, working consistently his his entire career and put out some some really solid movies, some of which people still remember. Um, but yeah, they remember the movie and not him. Uh, all right. Now we're going to get, I, I think you're going to probably be, I mean, I've seen the next handful of movies, but not since okay. they were new. So um, I think you have a better memory. So you'll probably have more to say about the constant gardener. Yeah. Uh, I saw that uh, in the theater at the time and, and since then as well, but it's been a while. Um, that's 16 years now. Um, and, and what's more is I, I didn't, I don't think I've seen it since knowing that it was based on a John LaCare novel. Um, but it has a downbeat ending, you know, something that it has a downbeat ending that has maybe the slightest glimmer of hope that like there will be people brought to justice, but not before our two main characters have been murdered. Um, spoilers. Uh, but and I think that's that's the thing that really struck me that and the idea that he's bringing in this other element um, of cynicism and this other element of corruption, which is uh, corporations, um, obviously governments and militaries and intelligence agencies like they are. He's been hammering them for a while. Uh, but here you have a corporation specifically uh, like a pharmaceutical corporation and the idea that it is in bed with various governments uh in order to to do what it's doing and actively hurting people that it would claim to to help uh that definitely fits in with everything else that he's that he's doing uh the film i would say is probably more accessible than a lot of the other ones that uh, that we're talking about partially because it's got two uh you know young attractive charismatic leads um and it's and there is a re a very real romance here uh two characters that genuinely do love each other but even then the there is a tragic end you know it's not as though they are allowed to continue living in bliss uh far from it um but it's a movie that i would i would definitely recommend i think it's i think it's well put together i think it has probably more visual vibrance than you would expect from from movies based on his work maybe too much arguably but not, um, not from what you'd expect from Fernando Moraes. Correct. The, yes. The, the yes. That, uh, yeah, that's but yeah, so I don't, I don't have much to say uh, beyond that, except yeah, just it certainly continues the the themes of of cynicism and being uh, suspicious of really any kind of uh, institution, including business and and just general uh, like the healthcare industry. Um. Next up is 2011's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which you mentioned earlier, which I saw on Christmas Day 2011 and haven't seen it since. But I uh, I remember liking it uh, uh, quite a bit, um, but more um, stylistically than than anything, because it feels sure. like I mean, it feels like it took when you. I can't remember what word you used, Byzantine or labyrinth, labyrinth, labyrinthine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it took that kind of story and just said, well, what if we just fuck it up and fracture it even more? <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, it becomes to the point where it's like following the story becomes beside the, the point. I feel like yeah. it's more about following uh, uh, George Smiley's kind of uh, weary uh, emotional journey. Yeah. And I think, like I said, the second half, locks into that a little bit more the first half it's just like plot point plot point and i think i i had heard 
I went into it uh, hearing that like, oh, Gary Oldman is so great. And and sure enough, he is great. But I remember the first half of the film, like, I mean, he's here, but he might as well be the reporter from Citizen Kane. He's just like observing things. But then it starts to pay off and you do see uh, you really get a, a beautiful characterization of, of George Smiley. He just is so careful and so proper and you would never think that he could be quite as ruthless as he is able to be uh in that film um but also i think the film i mean like i said i didn't really care for it at the time but i have watched it a couple times since then and and usually once i've been talking about it for a few minutes i want to watch it again as has happened Mm. right now um (laughs) because the art direction is beautiful like this one this might be the uh, of the like the drab movies that we're that we've been talking about this one might be the most stylistic um in that it is a period piece and it's trying to capture sort of the essence of these these uh boring rooms and in doing and and these fashions and that sort of thing and in doing so it does feel a little bit heightened to me um but in a way that i kind of love and you do have a situation where the the film ends and on some kind of note of triumph for George Smiley, but uh, but there are a lot of bodies that he's had to step over. Not that he's necessarily responsible, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. And and I I mean, talk about an amazing cast. Uh, you have uh, just like this thing is packed to the gills with amazing British actors, and also someone who are like um, that like. I feel like I was just learning who Benedict Cumberbatch was at, sure. at that point. Cause I remember, I think the first, I mean, he has a memorable name. So yeah, I remembered him from four lions. I think that was the first time that I really remember Benedict Cumberbatch was four lions, even though apparently he's in atonement, but I don't remember that. I don't remember uh, it either. I mean, but, he'd been, he'd been doing Sherlock, but as far as a movie actor, this was still fairly early. What year was Sherlock? I feel like it was maybe around this time. I, I would have sworn it was after, but I, you know what? I could be wrong. Um, I remember among the, there, there are a lot of really great performances, but I feel like the one that really sticks outside of Gary Ullman, the one that really sticks out to me is John Hurt. I feel like, you know, so many of these guys are a little bit younger, George Smiley, not so much, but a lot of these guys are younger and they're still, still hungry and they're still like working their way up. Whereas John Hurt as control, the guy in charge of everything, mm-hmm he's just weather beaten and there's just such a dark humor to him. And I think John Hurt plays it so beautifully. Like you just look at him and you just hear the way he talks and you look at the way he carries himself and you just feel like this is a life that his, I mean, he keeps going and he still has plans and he still has goals, but he, he's just been completely just emptied out by this life. And, uh, a lot of a lot of other great performances as well. Don't get me wrong, but he I I remember him specifically when I think of like these really these really powerful John Le Carre characters and the character of Control, the guy who's in charge, who frankly uh, probably would like not to be, uh, really stands out to me. Um, John Le Carre's in this one too. He's a guest at a Christmas party. I don't. I could see that. Uh, I Google imaged it and I was like, oh yeah, that's him. But I uh, don't remember that. I don't remember if he says anything or anything like that. He does say something. I, I mentioned I would mention one uh, 
Uh, I said I would mention one um, TV series. Oh wait, no, we're, sorry, I almost skipped a most wanted, a most wanted man. Indeed, that's next. Yes, he's not in that one. Sorry. Okay, well, he should have been. I think he should have played the Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Um, yeah, uh, I adore a most wanted man. And this is the one that I, that I'm, I mean, it, it can apply to everything, but this is the one that I reference. It's like, this is a movie about the war on terror, which you would think, I mean, there's, there's such, you know, the war on terror is so active, whether, whether we're in favor of the way it's active or not, uh, you know, people are always moving. Whereas when we think of the cold war, everything is very, even though there's a lot of activity, you don't really see it. Uh, whereas I feel like the war on terror, we're constantly aware of uh, people trying to do things and laws being passed and, and that sort of thing. Um, whereas here it just says like, yeah, it's just like the cold war uh, characters trying to uh, get information, trying to uh, turn people um, and and turning you know sons against fathers uh because the father is is um you know sympathetic to to terrorists in his own way um i mean here obviously you do like you know we we understand what a terrorist attack looks like um and certainly that's something that ideally we can prevent but in the end it's saying like yeah and we were also aware of of you know soviet atrocities and british atrocities and american atrocities and all that um and we're still i think we're still on philip seymour hoffman's side including his cynicism when he comes across like uh, anybody who's idealistic we tend to scoff at them the way he does uh but it's not like he's a happy person either um and this is also one where you're dealing with a lot of bureaucracy and characters that don't have you know people that are higher up who are surprisingly short-sighted because they're more interested in their careers and having a quick win uh, as opposed to make trying to actively make the world a, a safer place uh, which he seems to be trying to do and again a wonderful cast uh led by philip seymour hoffman in, in i feel like his last really wonderful role well, um he, had he already passed away when the movie came out i believe so it? yes oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. i think there there are a few movies that came out after he passed away uh but i remember this one i think was probably his most prominent as far as uh like he's genuinely the lead of the film yeah it's uh worth mentioning though you mentioned the war on terror like john le Cray actually worked uh in like sort of intelligence in the 50s and 60s and wrote right he wrote novels about the cold war while it was going on and then was still writing novels about the war on terror was going on his last novel was published in 2019 yeah i mean he, so he was he kind of cranked them out 80s yeah yeah maybe not cranked them out but like yeah he he just kept working and i think i think he I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I think he genuinely believed in what he was doing. And in the most recent, recent movie journal, we were talking about, you know, films that lead with their, uh, or filmmakers that lead with their, their thematic goals. And I feel like looking at these movies, uh, and I would assume reading the books, uh, you definitely get this cynicism and this idea that like, Hey, the people that are in charge and the people that we think are our enemies. Yeah. Like we need to rethink all of this. Um, and so I do. And, and, and I think that that probably was very important to him. And so he, whether regardless of the war or the nationality, whatever it is, like he incorporated it into everything 
right up until the end of his life. Because I think when you live that long, I think he was almost 90. When you live that long, you see, it's like, yeah, doesn't seem to be that different from one to the next. I've lived through a lot of these and uh, yeah, I'm noticing some commonality. Um, all right. Uh, I'll mention the night manager, um, which is a, a mini series that uh, aired in the U S it aired on AMC, I think, uh, but it was made for the BBC. Um, and this is directed by, um, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I just got uh, very frustrated with my phone just now. Oh, okay. Um, directed by Susanna beer. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all six episodes are, and this, it's, I, I won't spend too long on it, but it's, it's not the best. It is, if you're looking for that James Bond sex and luxury type of spy movie, this is, uh, 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 uh it's up your, uh, this will be up your alley. The movie's beautiful. Um, Susanna beer clearly loves the bodies of both Tom Hiddleston and, and Elizabeth Debicki because sure. they, uh, get it on early and often, uh, <laughs> in, in this movie. Um, but it also has a little bit like Olivia Coleman's a little bit too much. the, obvious good guy and hugh laurie's too much the obvious bad guy and it's fun to see hugh laurie chew the scenery and be a bad dude um he plays an international arms dealer um and this one uh, it also but but it's a little bit too it's not murky enough is the thing like you were were talking about it's a little bit too like the characters that we meet in the first episode are pretty much like who they appear to be by the end of the mm-hmm. thing. And, and so uh, it feels a little simple. Tom Hiddleston's character is, um, an, in a way he's another one of these civilians, uh, pressed into working, but he's not really a civilian. He's ex military. Um, and is now works in hospitality. He works at a fancy uh, five-star hotel in Cairo at the, at the beginning of the movie. Um, he's the night manager of the hotel. That's why it's called that. Um, but, uh, um, Sorry, I got distracted by my own brain just now. Um, it happens. Those things are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's uh, uh, a little too capable. Um, hmm. uh, I, I think a little too cold um, for, you know, he doesn't have those moments of panic that like uh, Diane Keaton and Little Drummer Girl or, or whatever um, have because he's he's just too capable. But uh I can't remember now. I can't remember what I was going to say about because I got distracted. But I will. Uh, oh yes. Okay. Two things. One. All right. We got another cameo in which John Lacaray actually does some acting. Oh, all right. Um, there's a part where the uh, the arms dealer click are having uh, lunch at a fancy restaurant, and Tom, not Spider Man, Tom Hollander. Oh yes. Right. He's even. I love more, him. He's great. He's even more Tom Holland Spider-Man. He's <laughs> yeah. Tom Hollander. Um, oh, watch out for Tom Hollandist. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. so British. Um, so his character uh, gets uh, uh, gets drunk and kind of like makes a scene and, and interrupts another table's like meal. And Tom Hiddleston's character, who at this point is like undercover within the arms dealers, uses his hospitality experience to sort of like quell the situation and appease uh the other the stuffy rich people uh, at the next table and the stuffy rich person is played by john le Carre. Uh, okay. it's a nice little scene now the other thing i was going to say um uh that that comes up comes up in this and um i think has come up in uh some some other some other things um 
and we'll come up in the in the next and, and final one on my list is the idea that oh yeah this is a big, big thing in the Taylor of Panama that's what I'm thinking of that like Britain as a world power is not what it was sure but their intelligence and stuff and their money is entrenched in a way that they can uh, uh, as um, oh my brain does not work Tobias Menzies sure uh, is in that i manager he plays a sort of uh corrupt or maybe just you might just say realistic um sure uh, uh, uh intelligence agent who says that um you know letting people like hugh laurie's character get away with a little bit is uh, uh allows britain to keep punching above its weight uh, is mm. the term that he that he uses um i always like seeing tobias menzies in, in anything um, yeah i'm i was interested in the night manager um it's unfortunate when you say that it seems like the more glamorous the more black and white kind of thing it's like oh well that makes me sad because uh it's got a hell of a cast as so many of these movies uh do um including the next film, which I actually have not seen, which is uh, our kind of traitor. Right. Which is, that's the last one on my list. Um, uh, because I didn't see the little drummer girl, um, miniseries that, um, Park Chan-wook directed, which I want to see, uh, John Lecrae's in that one too. Um, he's also in our kind of traitor. I don't really remember. I just okay. thought it was worth mentioning. Yes. I saw our kind of traitor. You can read my review of it at battleship com from when it, uh, it came out. Um, it's a good one. Uh, unlike a lot of these movies, I mentioned kind of big name directors. Um, we, we didn't mention Anton Corbin did, uh, right. Did a most wanted, uh, man. And, and, uh, I mentioned Suzanne beer, but, uh, Thomas Alfredson, uh, senior Taylor soldier spy. Um, Susanna White uh, is the director of our kind of trader who uh, apparently ha- has quite a career in British television with a lot of uh, prestigious stuff. So I don't want to sound like I'm um, downplaying uh, her, but she's yeah. just not, she just doesn't bring a name to it the way that right. some of these other directors do. Um, but does a very good job. Uh, our kind of trader is a very good, uh, very good movie. It is a little bit uh, globe trotting, globe trotting, or at least Europe trotting, uh, which I don't, I don't mind, but uh, it's another one in this long history of regular people getting uh, dragged into uh, um, uh, uh, espionage. Uh, Ewan McGregor is the star, and he's a uh, kind of like Jeffrey Rush in The Tailor of Panama. He's like our protagonist, and we want him to succeed and do well, but he's also like not a great he's got some flaws of okay. his own you know he's um has a history of cheating on his on his wife um which of course you know can get used against him in these kind of situations yeah um and then uh so he's on vacation with that wife trying to mend their marriage after his uh uh dalliances hey um, yeah we have the same brain apparently <laughs> uh and while he's there, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, uh, he befriends a Russian Stellan Skarsgård who eventually confides in him, listen, I'm uh, I'm well-placed in the Russian mob and I want to sell some secrets and get out of here. I need you to, you're British and you're nice. Uh, get me in contact with the British authorities. Uh, and so he finds himself between um, mm. British authorities who don't, really care about him and the Russian mob who will kill him uh, the moment they find out what he's doing. Um, but uh, so it's a, it, it's, it's more of a, t- like a lot of these um, uh, movies are talking about. It's more, uh, there's not a lot of action. There are 
there is one shootout as i remember um but even that's not like a huge action set piece uh it's more about tension and intrigue um and uh and and murky ethics but uh yeah it's uh it's quite good i'm a i'm a fan of uh of ewan mcgregor uh generally yeah um, i'm trying to remember who else uh naomi harris plays ewan mcgregor's uh wife um i like oh, her a lot and, oh that's right okay so you've got um jeremy northam playing kind of the the role i was just describing of tobias menzies in the in the night manager the mm. like not necessarily corrupt, but uh, not particularly compassionate. Yeah, uh, MI6 agent. But then you've got Damian Lewis as the true believer, who actually, or maybe isn't a true believer, but actually, he's a true human being. He actually cares if uh, if you McGregor's character lives or dies, uh, which makes him unique among the spies. Looking at the cast, I noticed that uh, Grigory Dobrigin, Dobrigin, I don't know how you say it. Yeah, uh, I don't remember who he is. Uh, he plays a character called the Prince, but he was also in uh, the uh, a Most Wanted Man. He played the Most Wanted Man. Um, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I this this is one that I was curious about. I actually own the book, that I, but I uh, haven't read it, um, and it uh, it looked interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy, and, and now that you mention it, uh, like it, it sounds like it brings in another element, which is, uh, the mob, uh, you know, which is frankly, just as much an institution as anything else. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like that he, he branches out a little bit, uh, in that regard. Uh, so looking at the IMDB, uh, filmography here, it sounds, it looks like, I mean, it says there's just announced and there's only one, uh, real detail about it. It sounds coming full circle. Uh, there's going to be a mini series of the spy who came in from the cold with, uh, Aiden Gillen as Alec Lemus. Um, okay which uh, sounds pretty good. I, I like Aiden Gillen as an actor. I don't think he quite has the gravitas that uh, a Richard Burton does, but uh, you know, it's, I'll keep an open mind. Um, But, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, uh, there, there are, I feel like I would like to invest some time into some of these uh, TV uh, miniseries, especially when you've got Alec, Guinness playing George Smiley in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Smiley's People. That sounds really fun to me. Um, but yeah, it's as it is. I, I I like a lot of these movies. In fact, I love a lot of these movies. Yeah, uh, I, I just really, like what he does. Um, because of the order I watched them in, I was like, I watched Spy Came from the Cold. And I watched Taylor from Panama, and I was like, these movies are so good. Yeah. And then I watched The Russia House, and I was kind of let down. And so going into little drummer girl and deadly affair i was like uh i had my guard up and then those movies ended up rocking too so russia house is really the only one i've uh, movies movie based on uh his novels i've seen that i didn't like the looking glass war is not available to watch anywhere okay i um i don't know uh uh anything about it it's um except it's what well, it stars christopher jones who's most famous for being so terrible in ryan's daughter that david lean had to like <laughs> edit around him right right that's like the thing i i know when i when i when i think of him um and it's uh from the director of the 1976 a star is born another movie that everyone agrees is bad so with looking glass war maybe there's a reason you can't 
find it, but sure. uh, I'd still like to see it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's got, uh, yeah, it's got a young Anthony Hopkins, got Ralph Richardson, who I like. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we didn't mention, we didn't mention the cast. Uh, uh, weirdly. So, uh, sort of not people not known, not known for acting appearing. And I mentioned Ken Russell in the Russia house. I forgot to mention that, uh, Harold Pinter is in the Taylor of Panama hmm. as he's, I guess the ghost of Jeffrey Rush's mentor who like appears to him sometimes. Do you remember this? That I do not remember. Oh, you don't remember it? He'll be like, Jeffrey Rush will be like measuring Pierce Brosnan for a suit and Pierce Brosnan will ask him a question. And suddenly there'll be like an old British man standing oh, over Jeffrey Rush's yeah, okay. shoulder. Who's, who's like, no, don't, don't, res-, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's trying to trick you or something, but like, uh, it's Harold Pinter. All right. That's, that's odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kind of feels like maybe they took a role away from an actual actor, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> he does um, a good job, I think. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, listeners, obviously, feel free to to weigh in on uh, on any of these films, uh, any maybe any that uh, we have not mentioned, including uh, the miniseries as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really want to really watch the Little Drummer Girl miniseries because it's, it's sure uh, it's a park. It's Park Chan looked at all the episodes, uh, and that's super cool. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's, I think that's it for this, uh, for this profile. Um, I feel like, well, we don't announce who the next profile is, but I feel like you and I talked about who it would be. And now I don't, Oh no, now I remember. Yes. Yes. Well, we'll confirm when this is over. I think we're on the same page here. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I guess I'll throw, I'll guess I'll throw the, uh, the final comments to you. Why? I think, I don't think we, I just mean the, the, the outro, you know? Oh yes. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. No, sorry, don't don't stop. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Um, I didn't review anything this week. Uh, Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug this week? Uh, not this week, but uh, over more than one lesson, I will be uh, doing an episode about um, Sound of Metal with the uh, companion film being Passion Fish, uh, written and directed by the always wonderful John Sales. Uh, I don't know when that's going to be, probably in the next week. All right. Now, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.